Yo, what's up? I'm back from Costa Rica. I'm back in, in uh, Topanga. Turns out my trip to Spain got rescheduled for later in the year. So if you heard me in a previous episode say I would be in Spain by now, that's not actually true. I'm back in California, but whatever. You don't really care where I am, do you? I'm just, I'm just in your, I'm in your machine. I'm in your ear hole. There's a Funkadelic song called I'll Be Good to Your Ear Hole. So that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, Anyway, my body is in Topanga right now. And uh, so that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Back from Costa Rica, had an amazing time at Rhythmia. I was down there for a week. Rhythmia is um, a life enhancement center, they call themselves. Uh, They use ayahuasca. Uh, in addition to massage and colonics and fantastic food and uh, really comfortable environment, really friendly, friendly, wonderful place. Um, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, total transparency. They paid for my trip down there. I think they were counting on the idea that I would really like it and I would tell you that. So um, I am. They were right. I do. I did. I am. So whatever. Everything works out. It's win-win all around. I hope you know me well enough to know that I would not recommend anything to you that I did not truly and honestly believe was uh, was worth your time and money in this place. If you've got the money and the time and you're interested in uh, the sorts of things that they offer, uh, I would very seriously consider checking it out. Uh, as I talk about in this episode, uh, I'm thinking about doing a workshop down there. Not really a workshop. I'm, I'm thinking about being down there in a given week, schedule a week where I'll be there. And then um, some of you, if you're interested, can come down and we'll be there together. So it's not, people have approached me. I talk about this in the episode, but people have approached me and sort of with ideas for um, monetizing the podcast. And one of the main ideas that people keep presenting to me is, you know, let's do a, a weekend, you know, with Dr. Ryan, you can, people can fly to LA or, you know, we'll meet in Vegas or whatever. And people can pay to like, hang out with me. And that just seems ridiculous to me. Like, why would anyone pay money to hang out with me? So I'm not comfortable with that kind of setup, even though people say, no, it'll work. It's, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm not comfortable with it. But I am comfortable with saying, hey, I'll be here this week if you want to come because you want to be in this place and you want to do ayahuasca, you want to have these experiences, the, you know, the therapy, the colonics, the massage, you want to take a week off and you want to be here. And the fact that I'm going to be there is an added reason to go. I'm totally cool with that um, because it would be allowing sort of giving all of you a chance to meet each other, those of you who decide to come along for this. And it would also be um, a way to help them do the work they're doing and support this, uh, this center, which is fucking amazing. I can't believe I've lived long enough to see this kind of thing coming about. You know, we're throwing people in prison for 30 years for selling mushrooms at a Grateful Dead show. But meanwhile, there are also places uh, that are utilizing the the benefits of hallucinogens for healing and growth and uh, with a medical license from the government of Costa Rica and 
hey, that's pretty cool. So uh, I'm pretty happy about that. Anyway, I answered, I, I sort of respond to three emails in this episode. Uh, one is about uh, how people get stuck in sort of intellectual ruts and they don't like to change their thinking, which is an interesting thing to be considering uh, sitting in a life enhancement center uh, because the whole reason people go to a place like this is to get out of those ruts, whether it's addiction or just feeling kind of stuck or even if you're feeling good and you just want to feel better and sort of move to the next level. That's the whole point of this place is to take it to the next level. Um, Another email was about uh, why men get so obsessed with their dicks and how jealousy, you know, they're all concerned about how big the other guy's dick was, if, you know, whatever. So talking about dicks and dick obsession. And then uh, the third one was my impression of uh, how it's different dating and and being with women from other cultures and you know the sort of sexual politics or the sexual culture of other societies as opposed to american society so if those issues interest you uh, you might want to check out this episode i recorded it uh on a camera on the mevo so it's meant to be a video episode but i extracted the audio and put it up here because i know some of you are driving or you're at work and You're not really interested in looking at the video, but I want to make the audio available to you. Unfortunately, the the sound quality is not great because it was the sound was recorded on my iPad, which works together with the camera. Uh, I didn't use an external mic or anything, so it's pretty pedestrian sound quality. Um, If you're driving in a loud truck or something, it might be annoying. And uh, so you might want to skip it. But anyway, this is just a bonus thing. Uh, I figure if the sound sucks and you don't like it, just just turn it off and skip it. And it's you're not missing anything crucial. Uh, yeah, so that's about it. Uh, what else was I going to tell you? Oh, if you want to watch the video, just go. I've got a YouTube channel. Um, so just go to my YouTube channel and you'll see a video called Rhythmia. I think it's like an hour long. And uh, or just Google Christopher Ryan Rhythmia R Y T H M I A and the video will pop up. I'm sure. All right, I guess that's it. I will be back next week. I've got some excellent. I recorded three podcasts when I was down there in Costa Rica. Uh, I talk about those in this episode, and then the next one coming up uh, on Monday, regu- regularly scheduled, is with a guy named Kaj Larson who was a Navy SEAL for seven years. He's been a correspondent uh, for CNN, um, uh, Vice, um, uh, Al Gore's current TV. He's a really interesting dude, very, very smart, um, thoughtful, deep guy. We recorded a conversation. It was on uh, Memorial Day uh, a couple of weeks ago. So we talk a lot about the military, foreign policy. He went to the... Kennedy, Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. He's got a master's in international affairs, I think. Um, Anyway, super thoughtful guy. Very, very interesting episode. Um, And uh, then I've got, then after that, we'll have uh, Tal Ruspoli's mom, Deborah Berger, wonderful woman. And then we'll get into these Rhythmia episodes right after that. So I hope you're well. Hope everything's going great for you. And as they say in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. 
I'm going to play you out with a song that is sort of relevant to the third email that I, I responded to about uh, women and, and uh, how women experience life differently in, in different cultures. This is from uh, Rita Ribeiro. She's Brazilian. And the song is called A Mujeres, which means there are women. Uh, indeed, there are. Thank God for that. All right. Take care, everybody. This is Rita Ribeiro, A Mujeres.
costa do mar Vim para o Deus louvar Eu também me pinto para o luar em mim A prata derramar Há mulheres que se pintam de caulina Costa do mar Vim para o Deus louvar Eu também me pinto para o luar em mim A prata derramar Ok, so, hi Ah, uh... I just thought I would record uh, a little one of these Ask Me Anything situations uh, while I'm still here in Costa Rica at the Rhythmia Life Enhancement Center, I think it's called. It's a fantastic place, really beautiful. Uh, I'll give you, let's see if I can give you a little look around without messing everything up here. I've got my little Mevo camera set up. I'm just going to give you a little, see all the hammocks out here, uh, this is only part of the center of course, um, these are some of the rooms where the ayahuasca is administered and those experiences happen, there's a yoga studio down there, um, there is this big dude right here, and uh, down here, there's something else. There's a Buddha down there. You can see some of the, the cabins uh, that are set up for people to stay in. It's a really lovely place. There's a pool over there and massage center and hot tubs and mud baths and all sorts of interesting stuff. So anyway, um, yeah, that's where I am. I'm leaving tomorrow. It's uh, kind of a rainy day, so this might get interrupted at any moment with a sudden downpour. But I thought, well, there's still some sunlight and I'm still here. I'd record at least part of one of these uh, to give you some sort of vicarious experience of being here in Costa Rica. So it's been fantastic. Uh, I'll be talking about this. You'll hear me talking about this place because I recorded uh, three podcasts down here. Um, two of which are with people, the, the owner of the place and the um, chief medical officer of the place, Jeff and uh, Jerry and Jeff. So you'll hear those. Those are upcoming episodes in the next few weeks. So you'll be hearing a fair bit about this place. And I guess I can announce now, it's not a big announcement because it's all still up in the air, but, you know, I've had a lot of uh, offers over the years, a lot especially particularly the last couple of years, um, as the podcast has grown, uh, people coming to me and saying, Hey, you know, we can monetize this and here's a way to make money from it. And, and as you know, I'm kind of uncomfortable with those sorts of things, uh, in general. And, uh, cause I, you know, Hey, I'd like to make some money from it, but I, I don't want to do it in a way that's bullshit. I don't want to do it in a way that rips anybody off or, makes me feel like a shithead and um you know one of the things people keep saying is like you could uh you could do retreats you could do um you know get togethers in LA and you know for a weekend and people would pay 500 bucks to you know spend the weekend with Chris Ryan and uh you know a lot of people spend weekends with me and at the end of the weekend I should probably be paying them right so the idea of people paying money just to hang out with me never sat right with me. Um, 
you know, I know people would do it. I get emails from people saying, hey, uh, you know, I'd fly to Barcelona if you'll, you know, have a beer with me and give me your input onto this or that or, you know, read my manuscript or, you know, help me with my, you know, deal with my girlfriend or whatever it is. But the thing is, people who are willing to pay that much money to hang out with me don't understand that it would be a ripoff for them. Because <laughs> I'm just a regular guy, you know. And you can hear whatever I have to say just listening to the podcast. So uh, there's no need for that. But after being here for a while, fuck, it's starting to rain. Here it is. Didn't even give me five minutes. Uh, after being here for a while and meeting the people who are running this place and the people who work here and everything, uh, I started thinking maybe I would be comfortable doing a thing where I am going to be here for a you want to come down and hang out with me, but the real point is you want to come down to be here, maybe to um, try the uh, plant medicine, have these experiences, think about your life, you know, take a week out from, from the daily rush and the grind and all that to sort of get some perspective on things. If it makes sense for you that you would want to be here, then maybe we set up a thing where for one week we, you know, reserve 20 or 30 of these cabins and uh, we do a thing where a bunch of people listen to the podcast, I'll come down at the same time and I'm here. So you don't pay anything extra to be with me, but I'll be here because I know 20 or 30 of you folks will be here. And it's a way to support this project here, which um, is really worth supporting in my opinion. Uh, and what they're delivering is something that's of incredible value. So that's what I'm thinking about. If you're interested in that, if, if that sounds like something you'd like to do, uh, maybe shoot me an email. In the subject line, put uh, Rhythmia, R-Y-T-H-M-I-A, and I'll just keep track of how many people are interested in that. You know, obviously we don't have a week set aside yet. We don't know exactly what it'll cost. It's probably about 2000 bucks, I think, all together for the week, all-inclusive food and the, the ayahuasca and everything, uh, flight would be extra. So you'd have to check the flights to Liberia, Costa Rica. Fuck, it's raining! All right, I'm going to interrupt this, and uh, I'll pick it up in a second. Okay, <clears throat> so I'm back. Uh, of course, as soon as I came over here and got set up in, under the roof, it seems to have stopped raining, but it'll probably start again any minute. So anyway, what I was saying is that... Uh, yeah, I really want to support what they're doing here, and it seems like a win-win situation because uh, this place is really cool. It's a very comfortable place, as you can see, I imagine, and uh, you know they've got the the right vibe. They've got the it's it's not super. Namaste, spiritual, we're going to tell you what to believe kind of a vibe. It's, it's really not that way at all. But it's also got some respect and reverence for the fact that the experiences that people are having here do have a spiritual component. And uh, uh, there's a certain sacredness that is being recognized and um, acknowledged. So it's kind of ideal. Uh, I know a lot of people are interested in the sorts of experiences that uh, ayahuasca can facilitate, but they don't want to fly down to Peru and go to some 
shack in the jungle with some self-proclaimed shaman who, you know, God knows if he was, you know, selling meth a year ago and uh, there's no way to verify these things. So what's happening is that centers like this are sort of uh, springing up around the world. But what's interesting about this one is that they went to the trouble to actually apply for medical licenses from the government of Costa Rica. They went through all the procedures to satisfy the requirements of the government to have on-site doctors and um, excellent support staff. And so this place is really the first place I've ever seen where I would unhesitatingly recommend it to friends of mine. And I'm talking about friends of mine who are 20 years old or 80 years old who want to have this kind of experience. It's, uh, it's a very well thought out place. So anyway, uh, it costs about $300 per person for the whole thing, for the food and the room and uh, you know, massages and, you know, the different um, colonics and blood tests and all these different things that they offer here. Um, and then the, the cost of the ticket. So what I would probably, the deal I'm thinking I'll probably work out with them, and I talk to them about it and they're interested because this place has only been open a little over a year, so they're still ramping up and still getting the word out. Um, but probably what I would do is I would volunteer my time and come down here, you know, I'd get a free week out of it, but I wouldn't ask for any money. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it would just be a way to organize, uh, get together uh, of people from the podcast who want to have this kind of experience, want to meet each other and uh, spend a week with me. So anyway, if you're into it, send me an email and I'll sort of get a sense of, of how um, interesting this is for people who listen to the podcast. So uh, you know how to reach me through my webpage, that chrisryan.com or chrisryanphd.com. You'll see the thing Chris. I think there's a tab Chris at the top, and then there's a contact form there. Uh, so you can reach out to me through that. Okay, let's do a couple of uh, emails here. I'm wondering about open relationships, and you're the only person I know who I can ask. Um, I'm just wondering, how do you make it work? How do you set things up so people don't get hurt? And trust can be maintained with a healthy partnership. I ask because I'm going through a situation with my girlfriend of three years. I recently found out that she's been cheating off and on for the last year. After taking a few days to sort through the emotions, I found that the lying and deception is what hurts the most. I'm just going to close this door here because there's a, a yoga class going on in there. And I don't want to, don't want my voice to be bothering anyone. Uh, okay, so she's been cheating off and on for the last year. I really don't mind that she's been sleeping with other people. Uh, it's a lying and deception. Since we're facing a breakup, I've opened up to her about my sexual fetishes, and even though we're breaking up, we're having the best sex and are happy being around each other. Ha! Huh, that's not unusual. This makes me confused because everyone giving me advice right now says to leave her because she's done the worst thing possible in their eyes. But I'm happy with her and I love her, but I'm not sure how to move forward. 
She's moved out, and we're separating our finances, including our house. We're doing this so that while we work through things, either of us can declare that we're not happy and leave without a bunch of legal headaches to deal with. I've heard of situations where the partner must approve each sexual encounter. Are there any common rules that couples use? Okay, so, first of all, let me say I'm no expert in this. Uh, I wrote a book about the science of human sexuality that argues that uh, maybe something approximating open relationships were the norm for our prehistoric ancestors more than 10,000 years ago. But that doesn't make me an expert on how these things work in the modern world, obviously. Um, but I do have some experience with these things, and I, I would generally say that what works in an open relationship is the same thing that works in a more conventional relationship, which is to say honesty and sincerity and courage. It takes courage to be honest as this person has just seen, right? He, he got to a point where everything was falling, the house was burning, and so uh, he thought, well, I got nothing to lose. I might as well be honest and tell her how I feel, what I'm into. Now, isn't it funny that they didn't have that conversation when things were going great? You have that conversation on the deathbed of your relationship, right? Um, so I would say that that's you know, there's the seed of your answer right there. Have those conversations as a part of your healthy relationship, not as a last resort when the relationship is already dying. Now, I agree, it's a big problem that she's been lying to you for a year. That's a big problem. Uh, because that's not a single lie, that's not a uh, mistake. It's not a drunken indiscretion. It's a campaign of deceit and cover-up and compensation and all these different things. On the other hand, the guy who wrote this email admits that he's just for the first time been honest with her about his sexual fetishes or preferences or whatever we want to call them. So in a sense, he's been lying too. Right? He's been lying about what he really wants and who he really is and how he really feels. So it seems to me there's some space for forgiveness there and uh, an opportunity, maybe, if they both feel the same way about this, to start a new kind of relationship. Now, it sounds to me like this particular person doesn't really have a problem with the open relationship. Now, how does she feel? Uh, maybe the lying and the deceit was part of the thrill for her. Maybe having an open relationship uh, isn't going to work because she's not so, you know, she, it doesn't turn her on to see other people if her primary partner knows about it. Who knows? I mean, there are so many different permutations. But if they love each other, I know I keep switching between talking to the guy who wrote the email and talking to everybody else, but um, I guess I should talk to everybody else. So if these people love each other, um, 
and they both want that kind of relationship legitimately, not as a way to try to keep the other or satisfy the other. That's not the way it should work. It has to be two people who get together. It's like two people who don't want kids. Legitimately. Hey, I didn't want kids before I met you. The fact that you don't want kids doesn't make me not want kids, right? That's one kind of relationship. The other kind of relationship is I really want kids, but I love you so much that I'm willing not to have kids to stay with you. That's different. That's not what I'm recommending at all. But if you both legitimately want that kind of relationship and feel that you're able to move forward without the deceit, with the understanding that lying to each other, again, is really kind of a deal-breaker. Because, you know, baby, I'll never lie to you again. You know, you can hear that once and, and believe it twice, maybe three times it's starting to wear thin. And, you know, after that, it's kind of tough. But um, I know a couple who were together in a monogamous relationship for, I think, 10, 12 years, and they were unhappy, and I don't know that they were lying or cheating on each other, but their sex life sucked, and, you know, they were stressed out, and it was, it was bad, and then, largely thanks to Dan Savage, they started thinking about opening it up, uh, having a different kind of um, dynamic, and uh, going out to sex clubs together and just exploring things, but doing it together. And I believe at this point they've been together 22 years, something like that, and they're happy as can be. I think I might be talking to them on this podcast soon. Um, I'm a little hesitant because they're so happy that they're, you know, I said to them, like, we don't have to use your name. And they're like, no, fuck it, I don't care who knows. You know, we're going to use our names. That makes me a little uncomfortable because I'd hate for, you know, any negative consequences to come from that. But if it's really their decision, they're adults, uh, whatever, it's it's really up to them. But uh, in any case, I think I'll have them on the podcast soon and they'll be able to speak to this with much more authority. But I think... You know, getting back to my, my first point, I think the key to any relationship, open, not open, you know, friendship, romantic, uh, partners for life, whatever it is, the key is honesty, sincerity, courage, transparency. Now, that, that doesn't mean you have to tell every fucking secret. That doesn't mean every morning at breakfast you have to talk about what a great shit you just had or you have to recount every dream you've had and bore the other person to tears with all the trivialities of your fucking life. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you know when something is relevant to their interests. You know when something is important to them. If you're sleeping with someone else, that's probably important to them. Unless they've told you, I don't need to hear about it unless it, unless you're falling in love with someone, for example. I know relationships like that, where one of the partners is just like, hey, I'm, I'm cool, you just let me know if there's, if, if there's an issue, you know, if, this, if it in, involves me, and, and I, I trust you to decide that. There's no set of rules for how to conduct an open relationship, just like there's no real set of rules for how to conduct a conventional relationship. 
other than honesty, sincerity, and courage. Those, I think, are the main things. And, and you know, ultimately that you're, you're really looking out for number one, and number one is your partner, not yourself. Uh, so I think that's the basis of a good relationship. And that's really the only advice I can give about this or anything else. I, I don't think you've got to leave someone because they lied to you, because... Let's face it, we lie a lot. We lie to ourselves. We lie to each other. Sometimes, you know, they're, they're lies that are much harder to get caught on. You know, they're lies of omission, like this guy not talking about his fetishes until it was almost too late. So I think forgiveness is in order, quite possibly. Okay, let's see. Uh... I've noticed that in men, when jealousy rears its ugly head, there's this preoccupation with the size of the other man's manhood. <laughs> this is from a, a guy, I guess. See, it's, a, it's a name that could go with... No, it's a guy, yeah. On multiple occasions, women have told me stories of men demanding to know how big the other man is. And even in my own moments of jealousy, I've imagined the object of my affection being pleasured by a more endowed rival. I love this language. It's like the, this is the language of penthouse forum letters here. Objectively, I know there are more important factors, but instead of imagining the rival telling a better joke or cooking a better meal, it's the sexual component that comes to the forefront. I was curious to hear your perspective uh, on this comical aspect of human jealousy. Yeah, so my perspective on the, the male's obsession with dick size, it's definitely a thing. And it's... Uh, some, some evolutionary psychologists would argue that there's an evolutionary reason for this, uh, that uh, there maybe a correlation between the dimensions of the penis and the possibility or the likelihood of uh, pregnancy, fertilization, or and or with uh, female sexual satisfaction, uh, and that that would be... Uh, something that men would have evolved to be obsessed with and afraid of. Personally, I don't think that interpretation really stands up to the evidence. Uh, I think the evidence is that I haven't read any evidence showing um, a correlation between dick size and likelihood of fertilization. I think they're more likely to be a correlation between ball size, honestly. And you don't hear, you know, no one's saying, well, how big were herbs? How big were his balls? Oh my God, did he have bigger balls than me? You don't really hear about that. Uh, and you don't see like porn actors being chosen for their big balls. So I think that the, the science and the sort of cultural uh, depiction of these things are not in alignment. And um, because the fact is that, you know, pretty much any dick is long enough. Uh, and given the fact that sperm swim uh, to get a woman pregnant. So 
you don't, you know, having a bigger dick, the dick doesn't like go up to the ovaries, right? The way if you know something about female sexual anatomy, uh, you know, the penis doesn't go inside the cervix. It deposits the sperm outside of the cervix. So no matter how big the dick is, as long as the sperm is present, uh, then uh, fertilization is possible. Uh, so the, the things that would increase the likelihood of, fertile, of pregnancy would be female orgasm, which of course, as I hope you know, can certainly be achieved regardless of how big one's dick is. So um, why do men obsess on this? Well, first of all, I would say it's probably, uh, and I can't prove this, um, but I think it's very probably uh, a European and American, more so American obsession. Uh, I think it is culturally determined. I remember reading about the Kung San people. Uh, I think it was in the book Nisa, which is a lovely book. If, if you haven't read it, it's a beautiful book that gives you incredible insights into the lives of hunter-gatherer people in um, the Kalahari Desert in Botswana, N-I-S-A, and it's by uh, Marjorie Shostak, who was an anthropologist who studied and lived with uh, the Kung people um, in the 70s, I believe. Um, yeah, it's an amazing book. Anyway, she... Uh, I remember that there were uh, jokes about if you wanted to insult a man, you talked about how big his penis was. In other words, hey, you idiot with a big dick, that's an insult. Calling, telling a man he has a big dick is an insult. So there are cultures, at least one, and I believe I've read of others, where a larger penis is considered ugly or associated with stupidity or what have you. So it's not universally considered better uh, culturally. And also, if you speak to women, uh, it's not universally considered better. Um, the whole size queen thing is mostly gay men, interestingly, right? So again, men obsessed with size. Um, women are by and large, and of course there are exceptions to this, there might be some women out there listening to this who are saying, no, I love big dicks, I, I gotta have a big dick, okay, fine, there are always exceptions, but in general, uh, women aren't really concerned about big dicks, they're concerned about good lovemaking, uh, but, you know, having a bigger hammer doesn't mean you're a better carpenter, so uh, I would be much more concerned about your... Uh, how long you last, how long, you know, if you can control whether you come or not, uh, if you are going down on women and good at it, if, uh, you know, your fingers and your hands and you know how to touch her and you know how to talk to her and you know how to ask her what she likes, imagine that, ask her what she likes. Uh, you know, if you have a good sense of humor and you know how to, like, let her relax and be comfortable and, you know... It's, there's so many things in life and in sex especially I guess where like if something doesn't go the way you want it if you start to obsess about that then you get into a death spiral so let's say you know whatever you don't have a heart on when you want to have a heart on the best thing you can do is just like yeah whatever go down on her for a while 
right? Or watch TV, or, or go get some food, or whatever. Just like, whatever, don't worry about it. And then everything will be fine. But if you start worrying about it, you start thinking like, oh my God, what's she think of me? And what's wrong with me? And blah, 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 blah. Then you're fucked. Then you're totally fucked. So this is a really good example of, and I think there are many examples, of a time where the best way to deal with something is to fucking forget about it. Don't worry about it, right? And getting back to this email, obsessing about how big the other guy's dick is makes you look like such a chump, really. I mean, you know, you're hooking up with a woman, you like her enough to get, a, to get worried about it, uh, she likes you enough to be there in bed with you, and you're going to squander that moment, that beautiful moment in your life, by thinking about another dude's dick? Really? What's up? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that, man? That's like people, you know, sitting at dinner, having this amazing dinner, and they're talking about some other dinner somewhere. You're missing the whole fucking experience. And the woman is with you. She's not with that guy. So, why don't you worry about making her remember this as a good night? Why don't you remember, worry about, like, how you're going to remember this night? Enjoy it, man, enjoy it. Don't give other guys dicks, really? You're going to obsess about that? So, I think one of the reasons we obsess about it is porn. That we see porn, and you've seen, what, you've seen like a thousand dicks in your life, right? 995 of them were on porn. So you get this sense of what's normal based upon porn. Those aren't normal dicks, right? Normal dick, the average length of a dick is between five and six and a half inches. So that's the normal range, and there's lots of variation in there. As far as female satisfaction, from the science that I've read, women are much more likely to correlate their satisfaction with the girth of the dick rather than the length of the dick. Because as I said, it only has to go in so far. Most of the woman's sensory neurons are at the in the first inch of her vagina. So if your dick is longer than an inch, you're covering most of the neurons. Uh, I wouldn't worry about anything. I mean, if your dick's an inch and a half, I understand that's, that's rough. But, you know, there are other techniques you can learn. The thing is, what is, is. Your dick is what it is. So make sure it doesn't stink. You know, do your manscaping, whatever the fuck, you know, that you want to do with that. Uh, but beyond that, what is, is. You're not going to make it bigger. Don't buy any of those fucking pills. Don't get any surgery. Don't do any of this dumb shit to try to change your dick. Learn to live with your dick. Learn to be happy with your dick. Have a good relationship with it. Give it a funny nickname or something. Be chill about it. That's the best thing you can do for yourself and for the women who are going to be with you. Because I'm telling you, nothing's going to ruin a woman's impression of you like having to listen to you obsess about your fucking dick, man. Really. I don't know if I answered that question. Um, let's see. Let's go to another one. I keep thinking of the quote attributed to Mark Twain. It's easier to fool people than it is to convince them they've been fooled. Hmm. What is it that keeps people clinging to ideas even in the face of much suffering? Is it fear of loss of self? 
There's almost a refusal to even face the possibility that there might be an alternative way of looking at things. Whereas some of us relish the questioning and the constant revision of our life's trajectory, are some of us just questioners and others rule followers? I'm always perplexed at people's absolute certainties when it comes to their own truths. Yeah, it is perplexing. You know, here's how I look at it. Uh, and I think this metaphor applies to relationships as well as to uh, our biases, our conclusions in life. I think uncertainty is like, uh, we say being at sea, that expression to be at sea is to be lost and not really know what's true. And uh, I think that if you look at that sort of uh, literally in a sense, you're at sea. What do you want when you're at sea? Let's imagine you're on a raft. You're at sea. You're sloshing around. You're alive, but it's scary. You see an island. You go toward that island, right? You're desperate to get to that island. Now, you're not thinking, well, I hope that island has coconuts. Because, you know, I don't really want to be on an island that doesn't have coke. You're just like, give me that fucking island. So you get to the island, you wash up on the shores of that island, and you're like, hell yeah, I'm here now. This is where I am. And then you look around the island, and it's like, this island, there's no fresh water. Got to wait for it to rain and run around with my tongue out. There's no fucking coconuts. It's like, nobody else here. Now, you're not really thrilled with the island, but do you want to push your raft off into the ocean again? Now, there are some people who will say, you know what, I'd rather take my chances, and I'm going to push my raft off and hope for a better island, even though I know maybe I'll get lost at sea. And there are other people who say, I'm never leaving this island, I don't give a shit. I'm not going out there again. So I do think there's probably uh, some component that has to do with the structure of the personality. I wouldn't say it's genetic necessarily, although there is pretty strong science showing that uh, there is a genetic component to uh, novelty-seeking behavior. And people who need novelty and need thrills in life, there does seem to be a, a genetic component to that. Um, so, you know, that could be part of it. I think it's also a personality structure. Some people are better at, uh, uh, undergoing dealing with risk than others. Uh, some people are better at dealing with uncertainty and, uh, ambiguity than others. So I think those also play a part, uh, a personal history. Some people feel that they've got whatever they need with them. You know what I mean? I don't need to be right because I'm smart or I don't need to be right because I'm loved, I'm beautiful, you know, whatever. If there's that sort of self-regard, then being right all the time is less important. Um, you know, some people really need to be right because they feel like that's the basis of their self-worth. And so they arrive at a conclusion and they're going to stay there because to change that conclusion means admitting they've been wrong a lot. 
uh, it's very unusual that someone is willing to look at new evidence and say, oh, holy shit, my entire career, has I've been wrong. Um, I remember when Sex at Dawn came out, one of the most touching, beautiful reviews that, uh, that I read was a guy, I don't remember his name, but he was a, a teacher of human sexuality. In his review, he said, uh, you know, I read this book and I've been teaching human sexuality for 20 years or whatever it was, 25 years. And he said, uh, you know, after I read this book, I realized I'd been teaching the wrong thing for 25 years. What a compliment. Uh, what a compliment to us, you know, obviously, but also what a cool dude, you know, what a cool dude that he was willing to say, yeah, I want to teach what's true. I thought that was true. Now I think this is true. So I'm going to change what I teach. That's a good dude. That's a, that's someone who places truth above his own ego. Uh, and there aren't a lot of people like that, but there are some, there are, there are definitely some. Now, you know, here we are at uh, Rhythmia Life Advancement Center, and um, I have to say, 20 years ago, when I was proselytizing the life-changing potential of hallucinogens and, you know, burning with frustration that they were highly illegal and... Uh, very few people took them seriously as a potential way to to learn or to um, have breakthrough psychological breakthroughs that would take years of therapy that maybe in a night with ayahuasca or psilocybin or something else with a, in a you know in the right context obviously uh, you know I, I despaired that there would ever be a place like this. Certainly not in my lifetime. And here I am. Uh, it exists. It's incredible. It's really incredible that, you know, I've lived to see this amazing acceptance and uh, embrace of the potential uh, for hallucinogens to change people's lives for the better and hopefully to ripple out uh, into the larger world and change society for the better. Um, now, how does that relate to the question? I guess the point is that people who are doing these things are people who are at least um, potentially willing to recognize how wrong they've been, or at least to broaden the, the scope, to open the lens of their lives and to recognize that maybe they weren't wrong, but they were, their view was restricted and, and to open it up and to be more inclusive of other ways of thinking and, and understanding. Um, and so the, you know, the, I often quote Arthur Miller, the playwright, who said, an era can be considered over when its basic illusions have been exhausted. And we live in a time, you and I, where pretty much all the illusions of our era are exhausted. The church, Wall Street, government, modern medicine, sports, 
professional sports, all of these things 20 years ago were respected and, and believed in. And now they're ridiculed and understood to be corrupt and ineffectual and uh, not responsive to the real world by more and more people. And uh, I think in these historical pivot points, like the one that we're in, there are more and more people willing to question their certainties because they're looking around them and the things that they were certain of are collapsing. Monogamy is another one. I think the reason Sex at Dawn has been as successful as it has been, which is all due to word of mouth. There hasn't been any advertising for that book ever. It's all been word of mouth. I think it's because enough people have experienced or seen the collapse of monogamy, the, the ineffective... Uh, the ineffectiveness of conventional views of relationships, that people are looking for alternatives. And they're open to thinking about alternatives. So it can be frustrating because you wish it were more people, and you know maybe there are particular people in your life that you say, God, I wish you would like open her mind a little bit. And, you know, She'd be happier and everything would work better, blah, blah, blah. But the fact is that I, you know, I've been around long enough to, to see that you know, there were a lot of open-minded people in the late 60s, early 70s, and then it sort of shut down through the 80s, 90s, and into the 2000s, and now it's really opening up again. It's, you know, it's like a breath in and out and in and out, and this is a big inhalation. We're at the beginning of it now, and so you people who are significantly younger than me who are watching this, your lives, I think you're going to see increasing radicalization, increasing... Um, like wildness, the possibilities, things you didn't think could possibly be happening are going to start happening. They already are, right? Nobody thought Donald Trump could possibly be president. Nobody thought Bernie Sanders could possibly have been as popular as he was. You know, nobody thought podcasts would, would take off the way they have. Nobody thought ayahuasca centers would get medical licenses and exist in places like Costa Rica. Uh, and nobody thought any, nobody thought Silicon Valley, everybody be microdosing on LSD. I mean, there's like a lot of shit happening that nobody saw coming. And I think that's, we're just at the beginning of that phase. It's going to get more and more intense. So don't despair. I know it's frustrating when people stick to their certainties in, in the face of overwhelming evidence to the contrary, but there are more and more people who are opening their minds now than, uh, than we've seen in decades, I, I think. So it's one of the things I'm feeling pretty good about. Okay, here's a long one. Let me see if I can find... Uh, okay, I'm curious if you could speak to some of the main differences between women in the U.S. and women you've come across internationally. Specifically, do you have any advice on pursuing relationships with foreign women while traveling? living abroad, and whether it's easier or better in any way. Okay, uh, again, I'm no, I'm no great expert on this. Most of the time I've lived overseas has been in Spain, so uh, I have some insight into Spanish women, probably. Um, although, 
you know, the sample size isn't uh, large enough to start making vast generalizations. Women are different everywhere. Every kind of woman, every every individual woman, even day to day, the same woman. There's a lot of very variability, and uh, so it's very dangerous to start making blanket uh, proclamations. But never stopped me before. Uh, I think the main difference is that America is a very fearful society. Home of the brave. It is not. Uh, America is a place of very high stress because it's hyper-competitive and if you're not winning, you're losing. And if you're losing, you're fucked. Uh, there's no safety net. Uh, you know, we've, I've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast in Spain, in, in pretty much all European countries, universal health care. You get sick, you're covered. Uh, vacation, uh, four weeks a year, standard. Plus holidays and blah, 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 it's five or six weeks a year. Get a lot of time off, paid, I'm saying, right? Uh, pension, yeah, you got that. Uh, doesn't Pension's not like if your company is putting aside a 401k. No, it's, you're Spanish, you got a pension. Um, you know, America is like a make it or die trying country. And most other countries are maybe make it, good for you, um, but if you don't make it or you don't make it as high as you were aiming, you'll still be okay. Life's still good. So there's a general sense of relaxation in those countries uh, that Americans find hard to imagine until you've experienced it. And so you've got that. Uh, and that ties into the fear. You know, a bomb goes off in London and people in Kansas City are freaking out thinking they're coming for us next. Amer Americans are just running around like fucking frightened rabbits all the time. It's, it's, I know you think you're tough. I know we got the big military and we got the stealth bombers and we got all that shit, but Americans themselves are fucking scared. Part of that's just because the news is full of, you know, they hate us for our freedoms. Uh, and part of it's legit, you know, part of there's much more violence. There are guns. I mean, if you're a young black man in America, you got fucking right to be scared, man. You know, cop will shoot you for no fucking reason at all and go home for dinner. That's indisputable. Uh, so, and everybody's got reason to be scared in America. If you run out of money and you get sick, hey, fuck you, you know, sell your house to pay for this operation. That's America. Uh, so there are a lot of reasons to be scared. I don't mean to be laughing at anybody. Um, but beyond the legitimate reasons, there's a culture of fear that amplifies that fear. Because it sells newspapers, it sells TV shows, you know, it's all these uh, reality shows, all the shits, all, you know, catch a rapist, catch a pedophile, you know, whatever. You're going to get kicked off the island, all this stuff. So there's a lot of fear. Women are vulnerable. They internalize that fear, so there's sort of a generalized fear of men. You go to these other countries, they really don't have that fear of men. 
There's also sex negativity in America. Sex is dirty. Sex is ugly. Yeah, I know we have cheerleaders and, you know, whatever, uh, beer commercials with lots of sexy girls in them. But even those, those things are sex negative because if you don't look like these cheerleaders or you don't look like the woman in the beer commercial, then there's something wrong with you. you got to go get Botox, get a boob job, get liposuction. you, you got to do all the shit, right? That's sex negative. That's not cool. That's not sexy. Sexy is when women feel empowered and desirable as they are. And of course you want to be healthy. Of course, you know, there's the, you don't want to like fall apart. But it's an acknowledgement that women are sexy as women, not as little girls. Uh, you know, for example... Uh, one of the differences is, in my experience, Spanish women don't walk around with n no hair on their on their vulva. That's a very American thing. Why? Why is this this infantilization? I, I don't get it. Why? Why are shaved pussies so in? I think it's because of porn. Right? Why is it in and porn? Oh, because you get to see you know more. It's for the camera. But we're not all porn stars. We're not all living in a porn movie. There's no camera. So what's it matter to us? Uh, but there we go. Um, so I think there's, uh, in general, my sense with women in other cultures is that they're more comfortable in their femininity. They feel less threatened. Uh, by men in general, and by uh, they, they feel less under fire uh, from the culture, telling them that they're not good enough, they need to do this, they need to do that, need to buy more shit, and all that. Uh, and there's also um, a, a different attitude toward aging. You know, if you walk down the street in Paris, you're going to see just gorgeous women in their 70s who will smile at you with an acknowledgement of their own sexuality. That's something I don't see in America. That would be considered grotesque in America. Um, which is really unfortunate because a woman's beauty does not evaporate when she turns 25. In fact, it's just getting started if you are looking at beyond the surface. Uh, and there's an acknowledgement of that in Spain, in Italy, in, in France, certainly. Uh, and I would say also in Holland. And uh, I haven't traveled much in uh, the Scandinavian countries, so I can't say, but I, I imagine it's probably true there, too. So, anyway, I think these are important factors in the differences. Um, and then, you know, you go to some place like India or, you know, Brazil. These are all very different cultural contexts. So I can't talk about every one that I've experienced or, you know, I've never, uh, when I was in India, I never slept with any Indian women. You, you can't even, like, make eye contact with Indian women. I have slept with Indian women, but not in India. Um, so who knows how relevant that would be. But I think those are the main points, that there's, uh, you're sort of, it's so much easier 
to, to talk with women because they don't start off assuming you're a creep or, uh, you know, potential uh, rapist or, you know, whatever. Um, so you can sort of start from a place of, of acknowledging attraction uh, without that being a problem. So I remember when I first arrived at Barcelona, way back when, I was in my late 20s, and uh, I remember walking down the street and just feeling how, man, everybody's flirting. Everybody's flirting with each other, and it's not about getting laid. It's just about acknowledging this sort of baseline happiness to be alive. Um, It's really common in Spain for like, you know, if I went to a shop or something uh, and there's a woman who's, you know, speaking with me it's really common she'd call me guapo guapo means good looking in Spanish now, is she like, uh, bueno, que tamaño guapo or, or, bueno, buenos dias guapo just mean, how you doing, good looking how you doing, handsome, right in America it comes across as kind of creepy and weird in Spain it's just normal talk Now, I know that doesn't mean she wants to sleep with me. This woman could be 80 years old or, or, you know, whatever. Her husband could be standing there. It has nothing to do with sex. It's just like a, it's like tapas. You ordered a beer, here's a little sandwich to go with it. It's free. It's part of the deal. It's part of being alive. Uh, And... So being complimentary to someone in these cultures doesn't mean you want anything from them. And that's the beauty of it. There's a generosity there. In America, that would be considered creepy. It would be considered exploitative. You know, hey, you're beautiful. Why are you talking to me? Why are you objectifying me? Well, in these contexts where women don't feel under attack then these kinds of exchanges can happen in a way that nobody feels that there's anything being asked of them and that it's just a gift. Just a little gift. It's not a lot. It's nothing. And I don't want anything in return. I'm just saying, hey, you're beautiful. That's all. Good for you. And and it may have nothing to do with your physical appearance. Right? I called old ladies guapa all the time. They love it. It's a shame we don't do that in this culture. It's a shame we're afraid of being kind to each other. And it's a shame that we consider anything that is related, even in the most indirect ways with sexuality, to be dangerous or threatening in some way. Because to me, that sort of energy is like solar energy. It's clean, no residue, doesn't hurt anybody. Uh, it's just free energy from the core of our being uh, that we can pass around and give to each other and just make life more interesting. That's a long answer, uh, but I think that sort of gets to um, most of how I feel about women in foreign countries. And I'm not saying that there aren't American women who get all this. There certainly are. And you know, they're just as lovely as any women anywhere. Um, I'm just talking about a general context. Because those women, those American women who get this, 
you know, they've had to work to get it because their culture doesn't give it to them. In countries with a healthier uh, sexual culture, this sort of understanding of, of yourself is just uh, standard. It's not something you have to work for individually. And you can really see it. I mean, Casilda and I would talk about this a lot, how, you know, you'd see a woman in Spain or a girl or whatever, and she'd be beautiful, just a beautiful girl. And then you'd sort of like step back and imagine the same girl if she'd grown up in Ohio or Michigan or Idaho or wherever. She wouldn't be so beautiful because the culture would have told her she wasn't beautiful. Her whole life, the culture would be saying, you're not tall enough, your nose is too big, your hair is weird, your ass is too big, whatever it is. And the thing that made her beautiful, this sort of light that came out of her, this, this happiness to be who she was, which illuminates you like firelight that makes everybody look ten times prettier, that that light would have died out or never really been ignited in the first place. Whereas in a culture where women grow up, girls grow up just being told how pretty they are all the time, just because they're pretty, just because they're beautiful, just because they're nice people, that light gets gets built up. So we, you'd see a woman and you'd say, in Spain she's beautiful, in America the same woman would not be. That sucks. That really sucks. And so you walk around in Spain and you say, wow, like the average woman here is hot. There's just a level of beauty here that's just amazing. But it's not genetic. It's not that their hair is better or their teeth is better or their nose is better. It's that they like themselves. They're comfortable. And that makes them really attractive. So... I hope I, I hope that doesn't sound weird or misogynistic or anything, because honestly, it's the opposite. I, I feel incredible sadness and uh, and compassion for women and men in in American society trying to get their heads around how to be happy with themselves, because it's like having parents who just tell you you're not good enough all the time. It's really hard to get past that if your culture is constantly telling you you're not good enough. It's fucking hard to get past that. Uh, it's so much better where there are, you know, I, I, Spanish culture is like a parent who loves you, who loves its kids. And American culture is like a parent who is always saying, you know, work harder, do better, get stronger, lose weight, you know, get a boob job. That's American culture fucked up parents man really anyway i'm gonna end there because my throat's getting dry so uh i hope the sound's okay on this i'm recording just into this uh ipad which controls the camera but it seems like the sound's probably okay uh and i don't know if i'm gonna release this as aroma or just uh as a patreon video thing it really depends on the the quality of the sound so if the sound quality is good this will have been released as Aroma on audio for everyone else. If not, it will only be released as a video for Patreon folks. So thanks for watching and listening. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll see you down here in Costa Rica sometime. Pura Vida. <laughs>